Welcome to Classroom Success 101 Podcast Show. I'm your host, Josh Roos, the Hardcore Behaviorist, and I'm here to help you overcome those problems you're experiencing every day. You're listening to a master audio class, so put your positive thinking caps on and get ready for another lesson on how to achieve greatness within your classroom. For show notes, make sure you check out our website at hardcorebehaviors.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at Hardcore Behaviors. Also, make sure you check out our Hardcore Behaviors Teacher Pay Teacher Store for our helpful digital downloads. And join our Facebook group, Educators United, to help education continue to thrive during these tough times we are facing when schools are closed throughout the country due to the coronavirus. By joining Educators United, we encourage you to upload free online educational resources to help educate our students from a distance. Okay, welcome to another episode of Classroom Success 101. Today we are with guest um, Rebecca Hannum, and she has spent 18 years as a self-contained classroom teacher teaching K through second. So today's episode, we're going to kind of talk based on, um, you know, the self-contained classroom and what that is and what that might look like and some um, ways that that can be successful. So Rebecca, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, you know, what you're doing now with your classroom. Okay, so I just started three days ago, just started my 18th year as special education teacher. Um, All 18 of those years have been spent in a self-contained classroom. Some years my grades were a little lower. Some years where grades were a little, my year, grades were a little bit higher. But uh, we're just starting year eighteen, and I've been in my current district. This will be my fourteenth year. Okay, okay. So when you talk about self-contained, mm-hmm. is that for um, you know some of the kids that receive special education services? Or is that overall uh, general education as well? So all of my students are special education students. They are classified with multiple disabilities. Um, I have students in my class um, ranging from developmentally about three years old up until um, about a second grade, you know, developmental level. Um, All have significant needs. And most of them do have an autism spectrum diagnosis. Uh, They all have communication needs. And a lot of behavioral needs. Okay. So, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, the, the listeners out there, um, sometimes they go into schools that they don't even have a um, self-contained unit or any kind of behavioral programs. Um, can you kind of explain, you know, what, what level that the self-contained um, unit is established at? Um, you know, looking at on the on the tier process of a RTI process. Sure. So know, I guess. OK, my district has self-contained programs starting at uh, pre-K level. So students can enter at age three. And most of the students in the multiple disabilities program uh, come to us straight from early intervention. 
Um, okay. Sometimes we do have students who are enrolled as general education students in our preschool program. My district is lucky enough to have full day uh, free for families, full day program starting at age three. So we have an early childhood center that has um, pre-K three and four year olds. Um, and then our self-contained MD program goes straight up through my program, which is kindergarten to second grade. We have in third and fourth grade class. This year, our numbers were so high. We have one teacher who's just teaching fifth grade. She has 11 students, all self-contained. And then we have another program, another um, classroom at our middle school, which is grades six, seven, and eight. And then my district actually ends at eighth grade. So we are a pre-K to okay. eighth grade district. Um, in terms of the services that we offer, we have the students with the highest level of needs and we're all replacement curriculum. So we have our okay. own reading program, language program, math program. Uh, we get a lot of assistance from our related service providers. So most of the students in our programs are receiving, um, you know, about the maximum level of speech therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy that is provided in my district before we feel that the student needs an out-of-district placement. We also okay. have um, a language and learning disabilities program, again, spanning mm -hmm. from about first grade to eighth grade. And those students, to compare to my room, use a modified general education curriculum. Okay. So that's really okay. how we're differentiating okay. between the two programs. Awesome. Okay. Um, you know, uh, some other listeners might be thinking, um, you know, what, like when you're talking self-contained, what are some, uh, what are some good, um, you know, interventions or how, what, what, what makes a good self-contained program? So for us, the key is structure. We use okay. every type of visual support that we can think of so that our students know what their day is going to look like from the second they set foot in the door. We work really, really hard to build a routine that the students are comfortable with. They know what's going to happen during their day. And the more we can set that structure and use those visual supports, the more that we're able to minimize a lot of the behaviors. Okay. And um, with that structure, mm -hmm. You know, usually when I'm I'm working with schools, um, the one of the biggest things that I, one of my biggest pet peeves is you got to have staff members. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of the times we look at staff members and and it's like um, we don't really do a very good job of staffing uh, the programs where they they should be staffed at with the the demand of students. So, you know, with your program, how many uh, people are helping you out run that program? So right now I have a total of eight students. I have two classroom-wide paraprofessionals and one one-on-one -on -one paraprofessional. We also okay. have a speech therapist who's with us um, part of the day, two days a week. Our occupational therapist is with us part of the time, two days a week. And we have both our guidance counselor and our school BCBA on call as needed. So we're very okay. lucky. We have a lot of support. Yes. Um, some schools, I, I know talking to uh, a lady last night about certain uh, programs, they're very understaffed. Um, some of them don't even have behavior specialists to even come out to help them out. Um, you know, what, what, what might be some things that you might uh, suggest when um, schools kind of struggle with having a lack of 
staff members um, to, you know, help facilitate some of these programs. Yeah, I've been there. I mean, it's really difficult. We do contract our paraprofessionals out. They aren't actually employees of my school district, which, you know, it is, okay. is hard to deal with a lot of times because the turnover can be very, very high. I'm so lucky that yeah. all of my paraprofessionals I worked with last year and we have a fantastic working relationship. Uh, one of the things that I try and make sure people understand that when they're starting a classroom out without enough support is you can't teach anything. You can't start working on academics until routine is established and students know how to do at least some activities with a high level of independence. Mm-hmm. So we really work okay. setting up our centers teaching the kids how to check their picture schedule, how to move throughout the room and how to engage in at least some activities with minimal adult support. And we fade that support okay. as much as we can so that if there is a day where we're short staffed or if there is a time when unfortunately one of the paraprofessionals isn't with us any longer, um, you know, there are some activities that the students are able to do by themselves. And I really think that I can't start teaching those academics until those routines and that independence is there a little bit. Yes. Um, okay. So that, that all sounds awesome. And, um, you know, some, some, some things that come with running a program is the leadership of the program. Um, you know, as, as a teacher or as a head, uh, teacher over a program, you do end up, um, having staff members that come in. And one of the biggest things, especially to some of the newer teachers that may not ever have experience um, managing other staff members, you know, can you touch base on some of the simple things that they can do to establish relationships with some of these staff members? Because some of the programs that we kind of run into um, where it goes wrong is where you have disconnect with the people that work within that unit. Yeah, I've been there. Um, You know, I had one year where me and my power professionals, this was in a, a different district, we just didn't mesh. And, you know, reflecting back on it years later in my profession, I start to realize that that is not their fault. That is my fault. Um, you know, you can't mm-hmm. get mad at people for not reading your mind. So I really <laughs> try and communicate as openly as I can with my paraprofessionals on a daily basis. We have a few minutes to check in with each other before the kids arrive. We have a few minutes to check in with each other um, when the kids depart at the end of the day. And I really just try and provide as much of a positive environment as possible. This year, you know, the first day of school, I had little paraprofessional emergency kits that I made full of goodies for everybody when they first came in on the first day. And I try and make everybody feel as welcome as they possibly can. Um, I didn't realize this, but what I'm finding out is not everybody provides a space for their paraprofessional. So I make sure that while not everybody has a desk in the room, Everybody has a designated spot for their coat. Everybody has a designated spot for their purse. And sometimes finding that space can be hard, you know, based on the physical layout of different Uh, classrooms. Um, I make sure everybody has somewhere to keep their, their teaching materials. And everybody in my room is a teacher. You know, we are all pulling small groups. We're all supporting each other. Everybody gets a copy of my lesson plans on Monday and my schedule is set up so that every paraprofessional knows what they're doing and what every single child in the room is doing every 20 minutes broken down over the course of a day from Monday to Friday. Okay. And, uh, you know, the other thing with it, um, what I've seen over the years is sometimes I feel like sometimes we stick, um, certain paraprofessionals on 
the same kid all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my opinion, I feel like sometimes we need to give that paraprofessional a break and, you know, be able to work with other kids. You know, what's your thought process on that? So I always say that a one-to-one is a ratio. It's not a job. Um, I do have somebody in my mm-hmm. classroom who's designated as a one-to-one aide, and she works with that student most of the day, but she also works with all the other students in my room. So this particular student has some medical needs. So she's fully aware of all of his medical needs. She's with him by his side anytime they're not in the classroom. So she's with him at lunch. She's with him at recess. Okay. She's with him at specials when we do push in with the general education class. But when she's in my room, if I have that student for a one-on-one session, she's monitoring centers for me and getting a chance to work with everybody else. When he's with, a, okay. you know, when he's at a speech therapy session and it's a one-on-one session, she's staying in my room and she's monitoring centers. So I understand with how high that burnout can be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I first met my husband, he actually was a one-on-one paraprofessional at a specialized school. And, you know, I got a different take on how that feels, um, you know, hearing it from his perspective because we weren't, you know, we didn't work mm-hmm. together. And that really started to help me reconfigure kind of how I structured my classroom a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, when I first started into the business, I, I was a one-on-one self-contained teacher. And I always, you know, especially when you have experience in the one-on-one self-contained, um, it always kind of gives you uh, an idea that I, I never really liked um, putting somebody in that situation because I knew how that situation was. And I feel like throughout the day, you know, um, putting somebody in that one-on-one situation all day long can be, be a very burnout type of situation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like um, if we can provide breaks throughout the day for that person, um, that's, the, that's probably one of the better routes to go. Um, and I know sometimes it's hard with lack of staff or um, lack of resources on some campuses, but I feel like if we do the one-on-one, we definitely need to keep in mind of who is doing that so that we can provide them different opportunities throughout the day that they get a different chance to work with different kids. Um, and I, I know you talked about a push-in program. Um so one of the very important things about self-contained uh, type of unit is the the push-in program. Um, I feel like sometimes uh, we get stuck on this self-contained. Well, that's that's what we're going to do is just continue to do self-contained. Um, but I feel like the, a very important component of self-contained is push-in program. So can you kind of touch base on um, – you know, what, what does your push-in program look like? And when do you have an idea of when it's the best time to start pushing students into uh, the classroom? So every self-contained teacher in my district, um, at least at the elementary level, the K to four level that for us um, has an inclusion partner. So I'm partnered up with a fantastic first grade teacher. We had the opportunity to talk over the summer and she made sure that when she was setting up her classroom physical layout, she included enough space so that when my students come into her room um, two days a week, that we all have an appropriate place to sit. So in my building, the only specials that we don't have in the classroom are gym and um, STEM our art program, our music program, and our Spanish program, 
those specialists come into the classroom. So for art and for music, my students go over to my first grade inclusion partner's classroom. And then for Spanish, her class actually comes over into my classroom. So we get an opportunity to, um, you know, be with the general education peers every single day. My students are with them for lunch. They're with them on the playground. And as the year progresses, we find more and more opportunities for that to happen. So a lot of our holidays and our special activities um, right now, because the year just started, she has a table in her room. So when my students push into her class, we're all sitting, all of my students are sitting at one table. And then as the year progresses, we figure out, okay, who has a little bit more independence, who can go join in with other peers. And we do some reverse inclusion, who from her class can come over and sit at the table with my students and act as peer models. Um, So, you know, when we talk at the beginning of the year, we don't just talk about, okay, this is it for the whole year. We really do try and think about how we can offer as much peer interaction time as possible. Um, And then I've had other students who have it in their IEP that they have additional time that they can go into a general education class. Last year, I had one student who was 50% in gen ed with a one-on-one and 50% in my self-contained classroom. I had another student who was much older, but developmentally, he was about a kindergarten level. So every day, him and his one-on-one went over to kindergarten classroom for their choice time. And he joined in with those students. And for a student with minimal verbal ability, he made some really great friends. Um, It was a great opportunity. And it wasn't academic because he wasn't quite on that, you know, academic ability level where those students were. But he was able to interact. He loves blocks. He loves cars. And he was able to go into that room and join in every single day. So, you know, one of the great things is because my students start pushing into general education from kindergarten, we've had very minimal experiences with bullying. Um, You know, my students and their general education peers know each other from day one. And that's something we really try and make sure we allot time for as much as possible. Awesome. That's good to hear because I I definitely believe in – um, eventually being able to push students into the general education classroom um, because over the years, I mean, you're just not going to be able to self-contain them all through school. Mm-hmm. So um, it's one of those things that I feel like in a self-contained program, the push-in part of the program is definitely very important. And um, one of the other things with it is definitely communicating with your teachers that, have these students you know uh one big thing that we look at is we always make sure that if the student has a behavior intervention plan we train them up on the behavior intervention plan um and and just you're constantly collaborating with those teachers because um over the years i mean even even in um when some of the teachers had like students that received a resource type of setting um teachers just didn't they didn't know anything about the student and it was like we didn't have any collaboration with some of the special education teachers amongst the general education teachers so um i always think it's like if you do have students in there that receive special education um, services within your classrooms i'll like my thing with it is for teachers make sure you reach out to the appropriate people who might be the special education teachers to get help if you don't know um, the answer to certain things. Last year, we had um, a really great experience where one of the teachers from the middle school reached out and said that her 
believe they were sixth or seventh grade students. Um, her class was writing picture books and they would like to partner up with the kindergarten students um, and make a book awesome. just for them. So because my class was pushing in with the general education classroom, you know, we identified some of those sixth grade students who wanted to work with a student from my class. And I had the opportunity to go over to the middle school, meet with those students, talk to them about the interests of my students, talk to them about the language abilities of my students. And they wrote picture books that were targeted directly to, you know, an individual from my classroom. It was a fantastic experience. We had such a great opportunity with that. And I really, you know, commend that sixth grade teacher for reaching out. She didn't know me at all, but, um, you know, she made it a point to reach out. And those are the kind of opportunities that I really look for. Awesome. That's good to hear. Um, okay. Well, wrapping up, is there anything that you could uh, recommend maybe a first year teacher, um, some, some advice that would help them through the year that over the years that you've uh, worked in the business is like some of the number one tools that every teacher should know? Um, you know, every blog post talks about this. Every Instagram post talks about this. But, you know, I always say it. You can't see tar start teaching the academics until the structure and your routine is established. Um, you know, that's really key. It might take two weeks. It might take six weeks. But if you don't get that started from day one, you are going to struggle the entire year. So the learning will happen, the academic time will happen, but building up that structure and making sure your students know how the room works is, you know, is key. Um, you know, moving on a little bit more from that is when students do start having behavioral challenges, really making sure we understand the function of that behavior, whether you're collecting informal ABC data or you're contacting your BCBA to come in and do a formal FBA and write a behavior intervention plan. Um, you know, figuring out those functions so that we can make sure that the interventions we're picking really are targeted directly to those behaviors. Um, I can think back to when I first started and how many behaviors I didn't realize I was reinforcing and those behavior problems mm -hmm. became so overwhelming. And if I had just known how to collect that data and how to analyze that data, um, you know, I would have been in a much better situation. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I tell a lot of my new teachers, if you can go back to grad school and take some behavioral courses, you will it will make such a difference in how you run your classroom. You know, going back and doing my BCBA coursework, even though I'm, I'm not a BCBA yet, but, you know, gaining that knowledge really changed how I run my classroom on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. and, and I totally agree with that as well. Um, I, I believe, you know, those expectations need to be taught. I know this year, one of our principals uh, actually for middle school um, had the very first day of school, it was, a, a shutdown of where the students went to their second period and that was kind of like their homeroom for the day and they stayed in there the entire day learning the expectations and the rules of the school walking through the school knowing the bell schedule what it looked like to, uh, to participate in 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 um, you know the cafeteria what's the cafeteria expectations I mean we uh, the, our principal would did a really good job of breaking that first day down. Um, and even throughout the years or the year, you know, one of her things was if, if kids start forgetting the expectations, we'll break down the, the same day again and reteach those um, expectations. Cause I, I believe if, you know, if you don't have the expectations um, down and, and you're not teaching them, then 
I, I agree with you. It, it's, it's hard for learning to take place. Absolutely. It's, it's really key, you know, for my students with their, you know, their current verbal abilities, we're really making sure that we're feeding back those prompts. So during our ESY program, when I have them, we may be physically full, physically prompting somebody to go and check their schedule and move throughout the room. And now that, you know, I've had them for a little while and we're back to school, maybe I can just use a gestural prompt. Um, you know, they still need support, but we're really working on gaining that independence and learning how our classroom works. And once we have that down, then the learning can happen without so many other behavioral issues getting in the way. Yeah. Okay. Well, Rebecca, I uh, appreciate you coming on today and um, talking about your classroom and um, giving advice to teachers out there. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can, we can reach many more and, um, you know, help other teachers and brand new teachers become successful um, in, in what they're trying to do with their schools, especially when it comes to self-contained units. So um, again, I appreciate you coming on and I hope you have an awesome day and we will definitely keep staying in touch. Thanks so much for having me on. You know, I had a great time and I really wish everybody a fantastic school year. So build those routines and it'll be a great year. Awesome. All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Okay. Well, uh, Rebecca was on today and talked about her um, 18 years in self-contained program. Um, I want to continue to um, invite other people out there who are in the educational field. If you want to, reach out and um, look at scheduling a time to interview. The, the goal is to help teachers, um, the young teachers, the brand new teachers, if there's anything that we can do to shorten the path of success, um, those are things that we want to touch base on. Other than that, um, stay tuned. We will be having other episodes on the behavior um classroom 101 success all right y'all have an awesome day if you know someone who needs to hear this share it with them send them a text message a dm an email put it on all your social media platforms and tag me at hardcore behaviors also keep the five star reviews coming over on itunes it helps teachers find the show so they get an opportunity to make the decision to grow as well